Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined, as always, by Kevin, the man in tights, Hume. That, uh, that nickname <laughs> might have been a stretch, but I, I, guess, I guess what I was talking about, I wasn't talking about the Mel Brooks movie featuring, uh, well, I don't know the, the main guy, but... Uh, Carrie Ells, uh, however you say his last name. Dave uh, Chappelle was in it. Yeah, Dave Chappelle was in that. Yeah, like one of his first, I think that's his first movie. But I'm talking about the stock trading app Robinhood, which I downloaded, um, but have yet to use. And by extension, this whole GameStop kerfluffle. Kevin, you, you, have you heard about this? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm a big Redditor, so I've been seeing everything about it for about a week almost. Yeah, this would have been the week for me to start trading. I guess I might have been able to make some money, but uh, a little behind the times. Yeah, I didn't quite catch on about it because I'm not on that subreddit. But I mean, I, I didn't quite catch on until it was really like I just started seeing like, you know, GameStop and millionaire jokes all over the place. And I was like, what are they talking about? And then I finally saw like one of the out of the loop posts about like what's been going on. I was like, holy shit. For those of you who uh, don't know or who have just been kind of monitoring the headlines and and hearing from friends, <laughs> um, I guess what happened is we're talking about a Reddit thread focused on trading stocks gave birth to a coordinated effort to kind of fuck over some hedge fund firms <laughs> who had been short selling a number of stocks for businesses, including GameStop, the chain of video game stores. Um, I'm once again reminded of that scene with Leo and McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess, um, you know, they were short selling these stocks. Uh, what do you know, Kevin? Can you can you fill me in? Well, I think it actually I know it starts the main story starts like about a week or so out. But I think it sort of started about a year ago. Uh, the subreddit Wall Street Bets has been around for a while longer than the pandemic. But I think the pandemic kind of made people, you know, try to take up new hobbies. And I think people thought, you know, you can't bet on sports. So maybe we can start actually playing the stock market a little bit. Um, and there was a guy, um, uh, this guy, Ryan Cohen, he is the co-founder of a website called Chewy, which I think is centered around pet, pet food. Yeah. yeah so Chewy. he put money he put money into GameStop last year. Um and I think people on Wall Street Bets noticed it because he's kind of, you know, he's like a co-founder of a thing. Mm -hmm. So I I don't know if like they were paying attention to it the whole time or whatever, but somehow I guess GameStop must have been put on the short sell list and they saw these hedge funds get involved in it. I think that's really what started people to rally this, the sort of Robin Hood-esque steal from the rich and give to the poor, which is ironic because Robin Hood now is shutting it down on the regular folks who are trying to do this to help the hedge funds as they are right. now losing money on these things at, you know, I think it was something like one of the hedge funds needed like a Two and almost two and a half billion dollar cash infusion just yeah. to be able to stay afloat. 
Right. And this is because um, the number I keep hearing is 140%. This might have been with GameStop, that these hedge funds are are doing this this thing that's called short selling, which I'm not even going to try to explain because I don't understand it. And I don't know if we have time anyway. But the 140% is what I've been hearing is that the, these hedge funds had sold 140% of GameStop, GameStop stock, meaning you know, you only have a hundred percent, right? So like almost 1.5 amount. And like, how is that allowed? First of all? So like, you know, like you said, Robin hood is working on shutting this down. I guess this has gotten attention of the, uh, uh, Biden administration. God, that feels good to say. Um, (laughs) but, but, uh, treasury secretary Janet Yellen has, has weighed in and, all the conservative blogs, by the way, are reporting that uh, Yellen took like 800K or something in a speaking fee from one of the hedge funds involved in this whole thing. And in the interest of fairness, I want to say that. And also in the interest of fairness on and holding the Biden administration to account, like I, I know what I don't want to see come out of this. And it seems like it's starting to happen. Like it seems like the concern is for the hedge fund people like, oh, the Wall Street got attacked. Like, no, man. What? Like, why are they allowed to do this in the first place? Seriously. Like, like, like this just shows, again, that our system is meant for the rich, not for the normal people. You know, this is why Jesus went berserk in the market, by the way. Fucking <laughs> fucking money lenders. They've been doing shady shit for two millennia. Yeah, dude. This is the same old story, unfortunately. Anyway, um, Hunter Ellis. I want to talk about Hunter Ellis. Do you remember the coma lilies, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, what was it? We placed like second to them in a battle of the bands like yes. a long, long, long time ago. And yet another segment of, yes, Kevin and I had a high school band together. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted to share this very interesting thing that happened to me. Um, so this guy named Hunter Ellis, who was in a band called the Coma Coma Lilies, who um, we played with back in the day, um, he reached out to me, uh, and it turns out he has a, a new solo project. I guess he was looking for places to get this written up, and he happened to check out um, SF Weekly, and he happened to see that I was the editor, and so he sent me a message like maybe through LinkedIn actually. Wow. Um, and he's like, Hey, remember me and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah. And so he links me to uh, his Spotify and I listen to this album and it's great. Um, and what's more, uh, um, he and his wife over the course of this year, both contracted COVID-19 Whoa. and it's even scarier. His daughter caught multi-inflammatory syndrome, a MISC-C, MISC-C is what it's called, M-I-S-C, I think, which oh. is which is that rare but like super scary syndrome that just a very small handful of kids seem to get when they come in contact with the novel coronavirus. Like most kids don't get this, but you've probably read about it. Anyway, there's a great story in the, um, the Press Democrat. There's a great story in the Press Democrat about um, Hunter and his wife's experience and their daughter's experience. Um, he, he lives in Sebastopol. Um, shout out to Sebastopol. Uh, (laughs) I I have, I have connections there and it's, it's, it's a very interesting place. The North Bay. Yeah. Kind of hippie ish, I think. Kind of hippie ish, but then also like, you know, rednecky too, (laughs) you know, whose door you knock on. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting uh, mix of people up there and, uh, it's a cool place. 
So, yeah. So you were saying you remember the Battle of the Bands. I remember it. I remember a few things about it. Um, it was like one of these pay to play things where, you mm-hmm. know, you sign up and basically they're like, if you sell enough tickets, you know, that kind of maybe that determines like what spot you get. Maybe. Yeah. But we sold a fair amount of tickets. I don't know. I don't even know how many tickets. I don't remember. Yeah. But people came and it was awesome. We got to play at the Great American Music Hall. Yeah. Probably never play there again. I I never (laughs) will. Um, It's a great venue, one of the great San Francisco venues. And lots of bands played. And this band called the Coma Lilies won. They're from Santa Rosa, from the North Bay. And they're like a post rock band, instrumental, just like really cool. Um, and really talented for for their age. I mean, that was when we were like 16 years old, and these guys were just amazing. Um, yeah, they were phenomenal. And we played with them like maybe one more time. Um, I think at a place called Close. In, Dude, I have been trying time. to figure out where we played up there <laughs> for a long was, time. Yeah, I think I've tried to find it too. I think it's like I think it might be closed now, but it was like a yeah. big hall restaurant bar type place and yeah. we actually like got paid a little bit for that show yeah we did which um, was a rarity <laughs> yeah so um yeah it was just cool that he reached out to me and um and shared his music with me and um coming up on the podcast we're we're gonna listen to it oh you know the other thing that happened What's was that? that was that wasn't that the <laughs> That was, we've mentioned this before in a very older uh, previous podcast. That was that battle. Of the bands was when Alex <laughs> got the, his eyes were like swollen shut in the morning because we'd been hanging out in the park with the fire the night uh, before. Uh He like gets in the car and he's got the, remember he gets in the van and he's got like the goggles on, like the ski goggles. Was it that one? I wasn't sure if it was our first one or our second battle of the band. Oh, did we do two of those? We did two of those. Yeah, we did one. Wow. Like in the very beginning, when we still had uh, Flip <laughs> as our Flip, Flip yeah. went to one of those. Yeah, oh, he played the very first one. Um, I thought they were at the second one, which I think okay. was when we were closer to like eighteen and nineteen. Dang. Okay. Yeah. I didn't remember that we did it twice. Wow. Yeah, we did it twice because the second time was uh, when my van uh, died. <laughs> Yeah, my van died um, right across from the venue, and I think I paid, uh, there was a a homeless gentleman who helped uh, start the car, and I think we gave him $20, because we, yeah, I think we won like a small prize for that, like pay, like money, and I think we gave him a small amount of money to get home. Wow. Yeah. You're bringing it all back. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. Well, so anyway, yeah, um, stick around. Um, we're going to talk with Hunter Ellis about his new album, Bass Tapes. Stay tuned.
We're back with Hunter Ellis, a North Bay musician, father, and husband who had a hell of a year in 2020, uh, didn't we all? But on top of the general anxiety, fear, and loathing everybody experienced, uh, Hunter and his wife, Davey, contracted COVID-19. What's more, their daughter, Alma, contracted the ultra-rare MISC, or multi-inflammatory syndrome, a condition linked to the novel coronavirus that seems to only affect children. And um, through all of this, Hunter, who I happen to know from way back, and we'll get into that in a little bit, uh, decided to write and record a solo album in his home studio in the wilds of Sebastopol, California. So um, welcome to the podcast, Hunter. Uh, congratulations on the new album and, and being a family man and all that stuff. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm so glad that you, uh, reached out to me. Um, did you reach out to me on LinkedIn? Uh, yeah, I was like looking through SF weekly articles and saw your name and I was like, wait, I know Nick. And then I couldn't, I found you on LinkedIn and, um, yeah, that's how it happened. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) for those of you out there listening, I I met Hunter when I was probably like 16, I'm 35 now. Um, uh, Hunter's band was playing at a battle of the bands, a pay to play, sell your own ticket battle of the bands at, um, at the great American music hall. And, uh, my band, we called ourselves a filament parson. It's a name that I'm now sort of a little bit embarrassed about. (laughs) I think uh, we all are embarrassed about early band names, right? (laughs) Yeah. So he he was in a band called the coma lilies, which I think is a really cool name still. Um, and, uh, they played some instrumental post rock. They're from the North Bay. You guys are from what Santa Rosa at the time or. Uh, we lived, most of us lived in Sebastopol, Santa Rosa. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, me and my bandmates were just blown away and we kept in touch and we played a few shows together. Um, and so then Hunter reached out to me, said, Hey, I've got this new, this new project and, um, I really like it. I gotta say. Cool. Thank you. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the record, um, we're talking on January 8th, right? The record came out, the EP came out today. Yeah. Yeah, I had scheduled it for the 22nd, but then I was lucky enough to get picked up by a cool record label uh, called Earth Libraries, and um, they made me realize it made more sense to release it in the new year. So that's what we did. Cool. Tell me about um, Earth Libraries. Um, <laughs> I don't know much. Uh, they are a collective. They have... Uh, about 20 artists on their roster. Some of them are like um, older artists that aren't producing anymore, like from the seventies and and the eighties and Mm -hmm. nineties. And it's pretty eclectic. There's some like heavier bands on there. There's some more folk oriented uh, people. Uh, It's run by a couple named Bryant and Bree who are super nice uh, out of Boise. And they used to live in Alabama. Um, how I did mean, you get connect, how did you get connected with them? This is, uh, is this like a, this is interesting to me. So, get- yeah. So this is the only success I've had in about like 500 emails of, um, someone writing back and like responding super positive. Well, not the only success, but one of very, <laughs> one of a uh, few successes of someone responding positively. There's a service called, uh, I should really know the name of this. Oh, Submit Hub, which was founded by one of the founders of Indie Shuffle, I believe. Um, and it's 
basically like a pay a little bit of money to ensure that people have to listen to your submissions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put out this single in November and then uh, sent it to a bunch of uh, labels and curator type people like bloggers and reviewers and playlisters and just got like, I don't know, a hundred uh, rejection letters <laughs> telling me, you know, everything from like, we like the vocals, but we don't like the music to we like the music, but we don't like the vocals to like, it's too well produced. It's not produced well enough. Um, it's too, wow. <laughs> too much energy, not enough energy. Like everything that uh, you could say negatively about it was said. So that was an interesting uh, experience, but um Earth Libraries liked it, and I sent them the, you know, the like uh, pre-mastered full album, and they uh, were interested in working with me. And so far, it's been awesome. about this this new ep what's the name of it and 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 when did you start recording it and and did you have are there themes that you're trying to explore with with this project yeah um so the ep is called face tapes i wasn't gonna call it i mean the name came out of the art which came out of just a kind of random idea i had um where i took a picture of myself with tape on my face and uh i thought it would be cool for my mom to my mom used to be an illustrator um and I thought it'd be cool to, for her to draw a very realistic picture of, of a photograph of me. Mm-hmm. And I chose the photograph of, of tape on my face. Um, and this all kind of happened. I thought I was going to maybe release a single. So just to back up a little, uh, I started writing and recording this in like April and May. Uh, the idea was I had kind of felt like, oh, I can't actually record anything, quote, real uh, because I don't have a drummer, so I need a drummer to learn. Or I mean, I don't have, I don't play the drums, um, so I need a drummer to learn some songs that I wrote. And it's like this whole process, so I can't really do that. Is what I thought to myself. Um, and it started as an exercise in kind of going, well, what if I just tried to record a, a quote real song without any drums, and you know, see where it goes. Uh, so that's how it started, and I thought it went actually pretty well. Um. And I kind of kept that up and it started with three songs that originally didn't have drums or had, you know, drums that I played, you know, very minimally or sampled drums. Um, uh, And at about that point, it was June. Yeah. And then in about June, July, I started really going, maybe I'll like do two or three more real songs and actually put something out. So this has been, um, this particular project has, um, like come to fruition from seed to, to what, what do they say from seed to 
Farm to table. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like farm to table. Yeah. <laughs> you're out in Sebastopol. Why not? Yeah. Um, uh, farm to table uh, during the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, completely. Um, yep. seems like one of your songs not all of these have words it seems like one of them might be about your daughter or is partly inspired by that um but also um you you got covid this year is that right you came down with covid 19 yeah i got covid in the beginning of july it wasn't that bad i mean it was a flu it was scary because you don't know when you're getting sicker it's scary because you don't know what the hell is going to happen. But fortunately, after a couple days, I stopped getting sicker and um, started to kind of plateau and get better. Um, the recovery period was long-ish compared to a regular flu, although the severity of the symptoms weren't much worse than a regular flu or weren't worse than a regular flu at all. Uh, I totally lost my taste and smell, which is a big thing for me because I really like to cook and eat. Mm. Um, and... During that time, you know, I obviously didn't leave the house, so I got a lot of recording done at that point. Then, you know, my wife had it a little delayed than me and like a little worse than me, and, and it lasted a little longer than, than it did for me. But um, after that, you know, we kind of thought we were in the clear come come August, and um, and then our daughter got sick, and we were like, well, she must, it was this whole thing, like, oh, she must have a just a fever oh she must just have um there's this com- more common kids disease that i forget the name of like roseola maybe mm-hmm. uh and we kept ca- <clears throat> calling kaiser doctors and they're like oh she's probably fine call us later oh she's probably fine call us later because this dis- disease miss c she was the third kid in the bay area to have it and the 20th kid in california to have it so like it's that thing that you like read on the internet where you're like, well, I mean, there's this super rare thing that your symptoms yeah. sound, but obviously it's not that because right. no one gets that. Um, so it was that. And then we took her to the emergency room. They said, Oh, she had a flu. Here's some fe- Here's some fluids. Send her back home. She'll be okay. Um, and we went back home and then the next morning she wasn't okay. So we went back to the emergency room and that's when they finally tested her for, Miss C and then they put us in an ambulance to Oakland where they have a pediatric ICU. Um, and they had all the, the top people there. Um, and we got really good care there and, you know, it was super scary the first night we were there. Uh, but it all 
turned out for the best or, you know, it all turned out okay. Um, uh, we were there for like 10 days. Um, it sucked. <laughs> we were like, you know, cause we had already had COVID and we weren't, conta- you know, at that point, like a month after you have COVID, we're probably the safest people in the country to be around. Um, but they had us quarantined to our room and we couldn't leave. And like, we had to keep like smuggling food in and, and I wasn't technically allowed to be there. Uh, wow. So like I, they would only bring us one meal and no one could come in our room. So all of our coffee would be like really cold. I mean, I know this is like silly things to complain about, but when you're stuck in a room with no shower for seven days and your daughter's super sick, it's like those small little things make a, make a big difference. Um, yeah, so that was hard, but uh, um, we got through it and um, we made it home. And then I, then life kind of went on. <laughs> and how much of how much of your experience being sick and everything that happened with your daughter? How how did that? How did that? did that inspire lyrical content? Did that inspire moods? Um, or was this just, you know, some music that you were making? Well, um, n- no, <laughs> yes and no. So the song that you, the single sounds like it's talking about my daughter, but it, it's actually not. It's talking about, um, you know, there's lyrics like we'll be, you will be okay. And, and, we'll be okay. And my daughter laughs on the end of it. That mm-hmm. was actually recorded before she got sick. Um, uh, and then I kind of, you know, definitely kept it cause it had some like coincidental overtones, but that song's more about, um, tripping out super hard on psychedelic drugs and like getting <laughs> scared and then like, you know, like realizing that you'll be okay. Like this is like, it's going to wear spin. off. It's yeah. going to wear off. Well, or it won't, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, just, just like, <laughs> it's more i mean if i had to like the lyrics are basically trying to be poetic of like um wow shit's crazy who knows what's going on that's okay if you don't know what's going on On Be There Now, another song of the album that I, that I really like, uh, this part st- stood out to me. I mean, you, you said that you, you're not a big lyric writer, but I, I think sometimes being simple and, and to the point works and, and you, you sing over and over again, uh, just, just skip to the end. Um, and I, I don't know, that, that really jumped out at me as far as the way 2020 was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that whole song is about something that I 
deal with, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people deal with, and I'm kind of have a hard time putting it into words, which I think makes a good, uh, you know, subject for trying to write lyrics about it. But um, this uh, kind of increasing sense that I at least have of like a conflict between enjoying the time that I waste doing unproductive things um, and, uh, you know, doing meaningful, engaging activities that I engage with the world and the people that I love. And it's kind of a little tongue in cheek and a little sarcastic of like, let's not engage with the world because it's more enjoyable in the moment to watch TV or whatever. And the skip to the end is kind of a little bit of a callback to like actual TV, but um, it's supposed to be the feeling that at least I get of like waiting for the next big, exciting thing to happen um, and just kind of, counting down the time until that thing happens. uh, And then that thing happens and it's always kind of disappointing or it's the thing might not be disappointing, but you're like, great, then let's skip to the end of the next, you know, let's skip to the next thing. You know, that Um, that, that reminds me of something. And I think this might be a good, interesting tie in. I mean, it it occurred actually in Sebastopol uh, at this or near Sebastopol and at this place called Camp Kaz and Casadero, mm-hmm. uh, religious camp yep. <laughs> when I was growing up, and I didn't want to go. And I got there, and like the second or third day, I was still being like a pill and like not happy to be there. By the end of it, I I ended up wanting to go back the next year, but like I told one of my fellow campers, I was like oh, it's, you know, it's Tuesday and that means tomorrow's Wednesday and like then we're halfway done and I get to go home. And I think this was like a really great insight for another kid to give me 14, 15, however old this person was. They were just like, you shouldn't live your life like that. You, sh- um, you shouldn't want to like skip to the end. But I, I also get wanting to skip to the end. Um, right. Sounds like there's like a, there's a, you know, there's always a tension there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the voice of the song is supposed to be you know, someone exhorting the listener to do the thing that's not quite the right thing to do (laughs) or not the, you know, um, I feel like everybody's generally happier when they're engaging with the world and not counting down and not trying to waste the time. Um, But like, you know, my voice in the song is trying to kind of be like, waste the time um, in a somewhat sarcastic way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I do the same thing all the time. Like, uh, uh, summer is actually my favorite season, but my favorite season is spring because I'm looking forward to summer. And by the time summer gets here, I'm worried about fall because that means winter's coming. So it's like, <laughs> I do. I mean, that's the, that's the same, uh, you know, psychological phenomena as what you're talking about with camp, where it's Tuesday, but that means it's almost Thursday, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think that's. Uh, a healthy thing but you know it's say la vie yeah might as well sing about it well the album is called face tapes um i've really enjoyed it in addition to just reconnecting with hunter as you could probably tell from our conversation but um i'm not just uh i'm not just uh being a fanboy here like it's it's really good you should listen to the record uh you can stream it on spotify um bandcamp lots of different places wherever you get your streaming media 
Uh, thanks again for joining us, Hunter. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. so much for joining us on this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin. Our audio engineer is Mike Huguenor. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, or wherever the heck it is you get your podcasts. We also encourage you to pick up a print copy of the paper and check us out online at sfweekly.com. See you next week. Uh-huh.